This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including writing creative nonfiction. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard, still nurturing his hangover from the excesses of the Weekly Standard Summit weekend is Bill Crystal. Bill, how are you feeling? Gee, Michael, you know, what happens with the Rod Moore? I'm supposed to say it's <laughs> It was a great summit. We had 400 guests, uh, lively panels. Thanks a lot for your uh, participation. You moderated or immoderated the panels excellently. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was uh, Charles Krauthammer was terrific, um, John Bolton. And I, I thought it was lively and thought-provoking discussions, actually. And what people were interested when I uh, uh, got back to Atlanta, where I live, was w- how did the people feel about the candidates? You know, how, did, how did the Republicans feel? And you did a good, you, you did something to measure that. You did a straw poll. People had to rank one, two, and three, their choices of the plethora of candidates. Uh, who did well? It was striking. I mean, two candidates were just way out ahead of everyone else. Marco Rubio had 47% of the first place votes, and there were, I think, 18 names on the ballot, so that's pretty impressive. Scott Walker, 28%. Uh, and I think Rubio was on 86% of the ballots in first, second, or third, uh, Walker in 79. So they were just, uh, um, for whatever reason, uh, the people attending uh, our summit we're very pro Rubio and Walker. Jeb Bush was third, but way behind. Seven percent first place votes on about twenty-six percent of the ballots. Ben Carson, uh, Carly Fiorina, very close to Jeb Bush, uh, and then Cruz and Kasich, and then Jindal. So it really was striking how it sorted into about three categories. I would say the uh, Rubio Walker as kind of the clear at this point choices. Uh, Bush, Carson, Fiorina at least showing up on about a quarter of the ballots in first, second, or third, uh, and then Cruz and Kasich, Bobby Jindal showing up on somewhat fewer of the ballots. So uh, I don't know what conclusions we can draw from that. We've done the weekly standard polls with our readers based on my newsletter and then putting up something on the blog and letting people poll. Those have gotten several thousand ballots, obviously not, not 400. There, Walker's been ahead in all three that we've done. I'm curious to see, we'll do another one in a couple of weeks, whether uh, Walker's still ahead or whether the Rubio, there really is kind of a Rubio surge. And I'm curious to see at some point, does Jeb Bush have a surge in him, or is he really, you know, for the guy who was supposed to be the front runner, uh, maybe our readers are a little more inclined to the younger candidates and slightly more conservative candidates than, to, than Jeb, but for him to be way back in third place with 7% of the ballots, I found a little startling. Yeah, and as the token Jesse Jackson Republican of the Weekly Standard family, stay out to Bush's, uh, I was pleased, but I was also shocked because when you think about the people who attended, uh, uh, first of all, there was a significant number from Texas. I just noted that from the group. But also, you know, these are people who are not anti-establishment. You know, they're, they're not, you know, it's not that we got a bunch of uh, my folks from a Tea Party rally and headed down. And the fact, not that Jeb should be winning or anything, but the fact that he's really is truly in the pack with the Carly Fiorinas and Ben Carsons and Ted Cruz's is uh, uh, early on when he's supposed to have the most advantage. You know, he's supposed to start hot you know, with a big lead and then try to hold on to it. It truly is wildly unexpected for me. 
you know, Fred Barnes on one of the panels, as you recall, uh, asked the audience, well, what do you care about more this year, ideology or electability? And it was overwhelmingly electability. Now, people can say that, and they might still, of course, draw lines if someone is ideologically too far off. But what struck me is that if you talk to sort of conservative elites, they have problems with Jab, I do too, on, on Common Core and immigration. But that's really not why people said they were disinclined to be for Jeb. They were very worried that he just doesn't match up as well against Hillary Clinton, that you lose the big advantage of having the younger candidate, the next generation candidate, the kind of middle American candidate uh, against the older establishment dynastic plugged into Wall Street candidate. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It would be great irony if Hillary Clinton's campaign somehow inadvertently, the fact that she's very likely to be the Democratic nominee, sort of weirdly and inadvertently makes it much less likely that Jeb Bush is the Republican nominee. Ironic, partly because if you talk to uh, Jeb's people three, four months ago, they thought Hillary kind of inoculated him against the problem of being dynastic and and, uh, sort of someone who'd been in office a while ago. They thought, well, that can't really be an issue because obviously that's true of Hillary, but I think that maybe missed the dynamic where Republicans are so excited finally to have the younger candidate after having McCain and Romney against Obama, after having Bush and Dole against Clinton. And again, nothing wrong with any of those people, and you shouldn't vote based on age, really. But still, there is a kind of excitement about having the the next generation candidate that I think Republicans want to feel this year. And I think that's probably hurting Jeb. Uh, Carly Fiorina stopped by and, uh, and gave a speech, and I think it's safe to say that if the straw poll had been taken after that speech, she would have certainly beaten uh, Jeb Bush. She was very well received. And the message from all of her public appearances that I've gotten from local reporting there is she always does, seems to uh, always do better than people expected. Right, and she had a conversation with Fred Barnes, and so she didn't just give a, a standard stump speech. I mean, she she answered questions. Fred didn't, you know, wasn't playing gotcha or anything like that, but she showed a real ability to be crisp and um, calm and assertive and strong, I think, in answering the questions. I think she's underrated. For me, what I take away, and again, not to over-interpret one poll of 400 people, but what I take away is that Carly Fiorina, uh, she's being treated sort of well, she's interesting, a little better than we expected, maybe an outside shot at the VP, but I'm not sure that she won't continue to gain. I mean, she's willing to attack Hillary, for one thing, and other people can say, well, she's a woman, she can get away with it, but if you're a Republican voter, you want to see someone stand up to Hillary, call her out on the scandals, call her out on her failures as Secretary of State. The others have been very gentle so far, maybe maybe that's wise in the longer uh, you know, range scheme of things, but I think she gets get some benefit just for saying what we all think, really, about Hillary Clinton and what we say, certainly in the Weekly Standard. Uh, I think that helps her. I think John Kasich, who is not the first choice of most conservatives to be the nominee or even the vice presidential nominee, uh, wouldn't be mine, really. Uh, I think we probably underestimate, though, his appeal. Again, if you're thinking electability, you look at a guy who won a bunch of congressional races um, and then wins election as governor and re-election by a massive margin in Ohio, sort of the swing state, I suspect there might be a little more of a Kasich move than people have thought. One way I was thinking about it is that people thought Christie would be kind of the moderate governor who could win in uh, win over Democrats, and that, that would be kind of the niche that Christie would occupy in this campaign. I wonder if John Kasich won't replace Chris Christie in a way in, in that lane. I, I uh, absolutely see that, particularly since someone is, like my evangelical Christian, longtime Christian coalition mom is very excited about seeing John Kasich show up, and she's in South Carolina, so she'll be there to help in early states. I want to ask you about the... Uh, 
some of the information that we had, Charles Krauthammer you know, was talking about the treatment, for example, of the United States and of uh, by the Gulf allies. And then you had uh, the treatment of John Kerry by Russia. Is the takeaway that everybody is essentially giving America the back of their hand at the moment? Or is this just a couple of accidental, uh, unfortunate events? No, I was struck, and, and John Bolton talked about this. Obviously, I mean, John Bolton's been in government a long time. I, I was in government a while ago. Charles has been around. And I don't think any of us has seen this kind of sustained um, lack of respect for the Obama administration. And it's really uh, unfortunate. I mean, we can use it, to, and we should use it as a, uh, as a point of criticism of the Obama administration. But uh, he is the president and will be for another year and a half. And uh, to have the, our allies have totally lost faith in us and don't even really pretend anymore to, to listen to us. I mean, the fact that these Arab heads of state wouldn't show up at Camp David, it's almost inconceivable that one of them would have, that they would have sort of presumably signaled that they could make it at this time, let the conference be announced, let the summit be announced, and then, and then just sort of say, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to a horse show in England, and I'll send my, my number two or number three. Uh, it's kind of humiliating, and the way Putin's been treating John Kerry and, of course, the U.S. in general, um, it's really, it's bad. I mean, this is what I took away substantively from the conference, apart from the interesting Republican presidential stuff, is uh, a year and a half is a long time to go with a weak president and uh, projecting weakness around the world. And that's one of the things I heard commented upon from the attendees was they were they would leave the event and go, wow, that last session was really good, but I'm so depressed now. In fact, apparently there was a surge in the sales of uh, herbal brownies in Colorado, in the Colorado Springs area while we were there. And I guess what I'd say is, did you leave depressed? Did you Was it a, a down note that things are looking very bad, or did you leave optimistic, saying we, we got this valid to go through, but it looks like we have an opportunity on the other side? Yeah, more of the latter. I really left energized. I was struck how many of the attendees are, feel energized. And I think a lot of it has to do with the Republican field. I and mean, what happens over the next year and a half happens, obviously, in Congress. Uh, Republicans will fight hard to defeat a bad Iran deal, fight hard to get stop the hemorrhaging and defense spending, do their best to limit the damage of the next year and a half. But I think looking at this field, thinking that they have a pretty good chance to elect the next president, and feeling that there are a lot of good candidates, I think that just makes a huge difference psychologically. In 2012, you know, you looked at these, you turn on the TV for an interview with one of the guys uh, running or let's watch one of the debates, and you'd sort of hold your breath, hoping that not too many of them said embarrassing things. Um, and this time, you sort of look forward to seeing seeing them, but they're interesting, they're lively. A lot of them we haven't seen that much of. And as you were saying about Carly Fiorina, you have someone like that who kind of wouldn't have been taken seriously, really, as a candidate a, a year or even six months ago comes, and she turns out to be uh, very good. And I think the same is true of a lot of them. So I, I think the quality of the field is a, a big plus for Republicans going forward, and certainly gave, I think, a lot of people at the conference had the sense that had a sense of good cheer and optimism about the year ahead. Well, it was a terrific event, and as uncomfortable as I am saying anything nice to you, Bill, as you know, thank you for hosting my wife and I. We had a wonderful time, and my wife is not very political at all, and even she was fascinated by the uh, by the panels. And so it just shows that what the Weekly Standard does, great stuff, and it's, it's fun to be a part of. Well, it was great having you, and thanks for your contributions, and uh, we'll do it again in a year. We've got the Alaska cruise in August. There's still a few cabins available for that, so if people want to come and have another good experience, that would be great. And... Um, but thank you, and, and uh, yeah, I, it, was, it was a fun event and, and a cheering event, I thought. And parts of it will be appearing as podcasts in the future, so stay tuned to the Weekly Standard for Weekly Standard Podcast. Thank you, Bill Christopher, for joining us. I'm your host, Michael Graham.